Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. A lot to get to this week. We will uh, eventually get to Friday night's battle with the ECU Pirates, uh, an ECU Pirates team that, that moved up and down the field at will against Cincinnati last year in Greenville. Dave Luke was not too happy when I asked him about that yesterday at the press conference, but <laughs> <What's new? laughs> but we'll get to that uh, as we move on. We'll talk uh, a little bit of the polls. I, I, I think Dave and I have uh, some different perspective than people on uh, what the polls mean and, and where UC's at, at number seven uh, here on November 11th. Uh, but first special guest, he is new to 24 seven. He is not new to recruiting in the state of Ohio. Mark Porter is, uh, is now employed by Bucknuts, but he is, uh, he's, he does coverage all around the state and he has been so kind to join us here on Bearcat Journal tonight to get a look at some of the Ohio prospects that Luke Fickle has reeled in uh, for the 2021 and the one 2022 uh, commit already in the fold. But Mark, signing day is what? Five weeks away? Right around the corner. Si- yeah, that early signing day really sneaks up on you anymore. Yeah, I, I'm the old school. I was waiting until February, but I'm not used to the December one yet. Yeah, well, I mean, you, especially this year, we're still going to be playing. You know, yeah. Cincinnati's in the AAC championship. They're playing December 19th. Uh, and then yeah. I guess the next week would be that, that Wednesday would be signing day. Yeah, I guess they're going to have to take those faxes that, that morning, but they'll make it through. <laughs> they'll figure a way. Luke, Luke always finds a way. That's funny. Mark, you, you've been in Ohio for a long time. Uh, how long have you been covering Luke and uh, how, how much of a chance have you gotten to know him over the years? Actually, uh, I think he and I are the exact same age. Um, when I was a freshman at Kent State, he was a freshman at Ohio State. And it's kind of unique. We know a lot of the same names and we can, you know, refer to a lot of the same people. So I'm familiar with him. Uh, I got in the recruiting business about 2005 is when I started with Bucknuts the first time back when they uh, left uh, scout.com. Uh, Scouting Ohio was just an idea back then. We were just putting videos online for free. And then we became an NCAA approved uh, recruiting service. And now we have about 85, 90 colleges every year that use our service. And of course, that's Ivy League. Patriot League, uh, Big Ten, et cetera. And, you know, of course, if we're going to be recruiting Ohio, we know about all the Cincinnati players, Ohio State players, MAC players. So love to talk to you guys about what Luke's doing in Ohio because he is what's called killing it in Ohio. There's always kind of been this stigma with Cincinnati that they couldn't go up against the big, the other Big Tens. Like it's still, they're not going to beat Ohio State for kids. That's we know that that's that's understood, but they've been beating Michigan State. They they've been, you know, beating Indiana and and going up against Michigan here and there. And are you surprised somebody has finally been able to kind of to knock down that door where Cincinnati is a, a an option at that level? You know, when I got into this business, I didn't really understand how important recruiting is. But in you know the past, you've seen. Uh, Narduzzi at Michigan State do a great job of recruiting. You've seen Kentucky come into Ohio and do a great job of recruiting. And Luke Fickle is another guy who came in and did a great job with recruiting. And recruiting is what will change your program. You know, you referred, you might be a stigma to Cincinnati. You know, there's bigger schools in Ohio. Kids might go there first. But if you have a personality like Fickle, 
And because I know him, I know his personality and the way he is with the kids. They flock to him. They trust him. He has a way of being honest with those guys, and he has a way of coaching them that I think they they respect. He's not he's old school, but he's not too old school, and he's not too new school. You know, he's like right in the middle with these guys, and you can see the results from his recruiting on the field. If you would have been able to talk to me a few years ago when Luke got the job, I would have told you circle a couple of years from now because if he recruits the way I think he will, it'll change the way we're you know talking about Cincinnati. And at the same time, places like Michigan haven't been recruiting as hard in Ohio and some other programs haven't been hitting uh, the Ohio Trail. So there's been a little void in there for Luke to suck in the players. Let's go. Uh, let's go bottom to top and we'll, we'll work our way up on this 2021 recruiting class for Cincinnati. Uh, a recent addition that, that kind of came out of nowhere, uh, Canton McKinley. Defensive back Jonah Lytle. Have you had a chance to see Jonah yet? Yeah, I saw him last year, and he's one of the top DBs in Ohio. You know, he's one of those guys that has good size, good speed. Uh, I think if he would have went to camps this summer, he would have been one of those blow-up candidates, meaning once some schools saw him and got more comfortable. But, again, I, I know Luke and his staff got a chance to see him early, and they know that staff well at Kent McKinley. So I think they got it in there. And – just like we talked, there's the classic example of Luke getting a player that probably could have been headed for the Big Ten, but felt very comfortable with playing for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Maybe one of the most underrated guys, I think, in this class, um, and I'm not sure how because he plays for Colerain, uh, but we haven't seen a lot of movement in his ranking since he committed, and maybe it's because he committed so early. But Dante Corleone, 6'2", 295, uh, the godfather. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's a great nickname for him. Uh, first, what he does on the field, he, he's big-time run stuffer, very physical inside, you know, like stout against the run. He can anchor in there. Uh, I don't want to say he's just one-dimensional with the run. He's got a little quickness to him, got some nice feet. And you're right. He committed early, and there's another one that I thought, oh, boy, this kid be, could be blowing up, and maybe Cincinnati has him, but will have trouble holding on to him. But, you know, maybe Luke is going to say a little thank you to COVID after this recruiting class because he's going to bring in a few players that didn't blow up on the, you know, the major stage. It didn't allow players like this to go to, a, a, you know, other camps out of state and be seen by other programs and really, you know, blow up their offer list. You don't see many kids uh, that look like Corleone from shoulder to shoulder. And if you see him in person, he just looks like, an, like, a, like a tank. Yeah, he really carries that weight well. It's not in his belly. He carries it in his shoulders. He carries it in his butt and his legs. You know, very good center of base for that kid. It, really great-looking player for Cincinnati. Should, should be what's called a no-brainer, especially when he's in your hometown. Dave? Sound, Dave. Sound, Dave. Sorry. Uh, moving on from there, we stay in the trenches with a familiar name. Landon Fickle, what uh, what do you like most about his game and where has he kind of progressed from when you maybe first saw him to now going into what will be his freshman year? Yeah, let's talk about Landon like his dad's not the coach. Uh, when I first saw him, it was before the injury. And I'll say the same thing you guys said to his dad. He looks like a puppy with big paws. And, you know, when he was first at Muller, you know, he played early but he was uh, skinny. You know, he didn't have a lot of weight on him. He almost looked like his dad does now. You know, his dad's skinnier now. 
And I think that injury gave him a little time in the weight room. And from that time, when he came on the field there, I thought he looked like a different player. You could see the power. But what I most liked about him was his effort. He almost played like his dad was like threatening him, like you have to hold this torch very high. The hustle was always there. The finish was always there. You could tell that his dad was probably going to watch that film and, and critically evaluate him because he played like a college player. He had that type of effort. So there's been some linemen I've seen this year that are going much bigger than Cincinnati. And if they're backside, they're not running downfield to pick up a safety or a DB. They're cutting off and they're going to stand there and you know take the play off until something's at the point of attack with them. So, yeah, he's he's a really good player. And if he went anywhere else, I think he would be in trouble. So Luke's definitely going to steal something there. And really, 6'4", 6'5", kids like that, he might be able to stay on the edge and be an elite pass protector. And when you have guys like that that have those feet and those arms, they're elite no matter who their father is. One, one quick additional question on him. How much do you think it helped Landon that Luke had him on the camp circuit very early? Uh, you know, freshman going into a sophomore year. Uh, I remember seeing him uh, just absolutely getting worked by um, Justin Watley when going in the year as he was going into his sophomore year. But it, it, it seems like Landon was able to take all of that, you know, and, and use it and become much more than he was at a younger age. Yeah, and that's what I saw in film. And it's not just his dad. It's any dad that's a coach, any kid that has to live with a dad that's a coach and that coaching mind that's going to make you sit down and watch tape and tell you when you're good or bad and push you to those, uh, you know, places like playing against the Watley. You know, like I do, I do that for my own kids now. I try to, you know, let them play against better competition because, you know, that makes you better. And I think you're seeing it. it, it I really would have liked to see him not be injured. You know, I thought that was a big year. But, of course – you know, he picked up further ahead than I thought he would have when he came back. Six of the nine Ohio commits in the 21 class are Cincinnati-ish kids. One that isn't is quarterback uh, Brady Lichtenberg from St. John's Jesuit in Toledo. So our fans probably, you know, would say they know the least about him. He's put up insane numbers for, you know, Ohio high school quarterback. What is – what are some things you like most about his game and how does that translate to the offense that you see is currently running? You know, I, I, his father played at OU at the exact same time that I played at Kent state and exact same time that Luke was playing there. So he's a guy, it's the same age. And I remember talking to him when he committed and they were in love with Cincinnati. They were one of the first guys to commit. I think I, I thought to him again, you committed before you went to camps and you really didn't get a chance to, to show the world what you had, but they fell in love with Luke. Uh, okay, so what do I know about him? I saw him this year against Fremont. I saw him last year a couple times play. He's every bit of that 6'4", 6'5", and he's well-built. Very thick, very strong. Uh, throws a pure spiral. Really good zip on the ball. A much, much better athlete than you would think. And I said that same thing about Joe Burrow. You know, you don't expect much from him. When he runs on film, he just looks like he's running around at a normal speed. But he's really moving pretty good. And then he's also an unbelievable basketball player. He's an AAU star. So you know what you're getting there when you have a point guard that runs AAU, you know, camp or uh, that circuit all the time. Uh, so I think they got to steal with him. You know, he he might get on the field early. I think he's one of those kids that's smart and he might build a process a college playbook a little faster than most. So I, I really think they got a great deal there. I mean, I know we're just gushing about all these recruits right now, but 
the, the potential on some of these guys is outstanding from Ohio. He's a guy that they can run the RPO stuff that they do with Dez and then what, you know, Evan Prater will be doing as well, or is he more can run, but he's going to be your pocket, traditional pocket passer. Yeah. You got the, you got a Joe Burrow type. Okay. So if you wanted to run them and you want to have that package in, you can do it. You can sneak it in there, but from the pocket, that's where he's really going to shine. You know, he's going to be able to stand tall. He's going to be able to see over things, drive balls through the middle. But again, I've seen him run, and you know he he's shifty, and he can he can turn on the gas if he has to. We'll go to uh, Leroy Bowers from Princeton. Twenty four seven lists him as a safety, but seems like he could fill a number of positions on the defense. You know, his game. Where do you think he probably projects best? Yeah, I'd probably start him in the secondary and see if he can stay there. He he's got enough quickness on film and enough speed on film where that's where he's going to go. Uh, over 200 pounds right now, if he is, then you start thinking linebacker and, you know, think about how he looks after getting in the weight room. But I, I'm one of those guys that's the bump down theory. Keep him at the fastest spot as long as possible before you bump him down, make him cover, teach him the coverage skills. Uh, but again, right in their backyard, they landed a very athletic safety. And a, a lot of these defenses, uh, they're not the kind of safeties they used to be in the past. They're up there playing the run. Sometimes they're like a hybrid outside linebacker. You know, he could fit very well into the defense. Let's see. Uh, another local guy we go to now in Cam Jr., outside linebacker, 6'1", 210, 24-7, uh, has him 45th in the state. And that's a recent addition for them. And the pedigree is there uh, with a dad that's in the College Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> but yeah. what, what is Luke looking for out of Cam Jr.? You know, it, it was amazing to me when I saw him that he didn't have offers already. He's one of those guys, but then I was watching the game and I'm looking down at the sheet and I'm going, how in the world am I the only one that knows about this kid? And for whatever reason, Middletown had a changeover in coaches. They had a bad season. Things under things in Middletown just maybe weren't as publicized as they should have were. That was always one of the top programs in the world when I was, you know, coming through high school. So, you know, that being said, Definitely a linebacker, maybe down a defensive end. I've seen him, you know, maybe put his hand down and rush the passer, but he's a great looking body. One of those guys that'll probably get bigger when he gets in the weight room, probably add a bunch of weight. So he might be changing positions. I'm not sure, you know. I think they like him at linebacker for now, but Marcus Freeman has shown uh, it doesn't really matter to him once you get here. You're, he's going to move you around and, and get the most out of you. Yeah, and I didn't see Middletown this year, so I'm not sure where his weight's at, but I remember him being a pretty thick kid when I saw him. Yeah, he's he's well-built. Um, next on the list, uh, a perennial state title contender in Division II. They had one of the, the prized secondaries in the state of Ohio. We go to Issa Jarman from LaSalle, cornerback 6'1", 180, and he fits that press coverage kind of out-on-an-island style that Freeman likes. That secondary LaSalle is legendary. Uh, I can remember thinking that they were going to play Maslin in that state championship game. And I'm like, I couldn't think of a better secondary to go against those receivers for Maslin. Uh, and you said it, the, these big corners or the in vogue thing, they got to be able to stand up and press. They got to play physical. They got to be able to play zone. They got to be able to play man. He does all that stuff. Uh, I, I liked him in person. In fact, when you watch all three of those guys in person, it's hard to tell which one's going to Alabama, which one's going to Cincinnati, Ohio State, et cetera. They, they all do an outstanding job. What's, what's his strength? Um, is it coverage? 
Yeah, you know, I think his size and his length right now. I think right now he can cover high school receivers. I don't think he's – I've ever seen him struggle with a kid in high school. Just see how that holds up in college, I guess, see how he progresses. Luke talks about being an offensive line-driven program. Uh, that takes us to Mal Glenn from Walnut Hills, uh, one of the prized recruits for Luke in this cycle, uh, 25th in the state of Ohio, 6'4", 280 pounds, and he is built like a freak. He is definitely built like a freak. And when I went to see him, I want to say he was injured the year I went to see him, if I'm not mistaken. But I know Walnut had a bunch of guys that year. Uh, again, I've watched him on tape a bunch. He's definitely a, one of the more physical linemen I've seen in Ohio for the class. Uh, I don't know if he's a tackler or a guard. That'd probably be the debate going into college. I think the plan I had is him guard, as, I think. Yeah, I, th I had him as a guard. But uh, if he could get some feet underneath him, he might have enough length to go out there and be that elite edge guy but again those guys are the toughest to find and you know Luke has someone in his own family that might be able to do it <laughs> uh did you see Luke Collinsworth at all no I did not okay I, How he's he close to Ohio yeah is he related to Collinsworth is that uh, no no it's no. a totally different thing yeah totally different clan he's uh the Brookville Indiana guy a kid um six six three hundred pounds which uh, for me, that's the crazy thing about Luke's recruiting when he, cause when he got here for the longest time, Cincinnati and, and Mal Glenn fits in this as well. Cincinnati was recruiting guys that were tight ends or, yeah. you know, 240 pound developmental guys. And that has completely changed when Luke has gotten here. Are you surprised he's been able to consistently reel in six, four, plus, uh, linemen? You know, that's that's a debate among a lot of coaches. You know, back when uh, Luke was at Ohio State, Jim Bowman was a big fan of the Mayo Glenn type, the 280-pounders, the big butts, the big uh, thighs or whatever, because they were a grinded-out power running game, double-team type team with Trestle. But as the uh, Urban Meyer regime took over, their first offer was Taylor Decker, and he was one of those six, 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 seven, 250-pound kids that had the feet and that Bowman didn't offer, if you remember back in the day. So – I think Luke has seen both types of kids. I think he'd probably recruit both, but when you don't have to reach for the developmental kid right. anymore, it's nice. And that's kind of more what this signifies is Cincinnati's a program now where we can get the finished product. We can get the kids that are already ahead. And there's a probably more success or a bigger hit rate on those kids where the developmental kid, you sit there and you go, well, there's probably five or six kids that are 6'5", 240. Which one is it? And I think you beat yourself up and you, you can make a mistake if you don't get the right kid in that scenario. So that just goes to the health of their recruiting as they're getting more finished products. Last guy in Ohio we'll touch on Dublin Kaufman, number 18 in the state, 5'10, 190, uh, graded in 87 on 24 7. Brian Threats, uh, explosive kid. Right now, Cincinnati has him uh, slotted for the, back, the defensive backfield, but he could go either way. Yeah, I'm glad we get to talk about him because I have a story about him that I've never been able to tell anybody. So this is coming <laughs> in handy right now. Uh, I just went to see Dublin Kaufman in the playoffs last year. And, you know, I, I really didn't know much about him. And he flashed a couple times and I kind of wrote down his number. And I'm like, who the hell is this kid? And next thing you know, he gets hurt. And he was hurt pretty bad. And I was standing there on the sidelines and he was in a fury to get back in the game. And I'm like, 
this kid is a tough son of a gun because you could see the pain on his face. You could see him limping around. And he went back in the game and he gutted it out. And that type of stuff, when I get to see that in person, it like gives me a check mark of, boy, you can trust this type of player. You know, he's here to play football. He didn't care. You know, I, I, I want to say the coaches and other people were like, hey, you're not going back in. And he was like, hey, yes, I am going back in. I'm fine. And you knew he wasn't fine. And I think that, in addition to what you just said, he was explosive. He's tough. I can't wait to see how he turns out and how that trait goes with him in college. Because as an evaluator, anytime I've ever seen kids that are that tough or that into it in a game, that always leads to success in college, no matter what level, whether they're a Mac kid, Ohio State kid, that trait usually carries them. So there you go. I'm glad I got to tell that story about him. <laughs> Dave, you got anything more for Mark before we let him go? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, the 21 class is pretty much in the books. 22 class for UC is off to an insane start. Who are just some of the guys around Ohio in 22 that you, you – I'm not even saying UC is heavily, heavily recruiting yet, but who are some of the guys that you like that you've seen this year and we should keep an eye on? Okay, uh, I'm getting around and I've seen a lot of players this year, actually. Uh, C.J. Hicks, these are Ohio State-type guys, the Gabe Powers – uh, I saw C.J. Doggett last night, uh, last week for uh, Pickerington Central. He's a nice, thick-looking inside player. Uh, Derek Shepard over at Alter, that's another player that if he doesn't go the Buckeye way or, you know, I think Kentucky's already off or he's got a little explosion to him. Um, that Tegra Tishvula at uh, Lakota West, he's another big kid. Uh, Caleb Johnson at Hamilton, you know. Uh, the guys over at Wayne, Emil Wagner, and that other tight end. You know, those guys are great-looking players over there. Uh, kid up here at Stowe, Mason Manel. Uh, Xavier Preston over at Stowe. I bet you the Bradley kid at Springfield is another player that Luke's in on. He seems to be tight with Mo Douglas. I know there's a pipeline in Kentucky there, but they could be in on him. Uh, Daniel Tucson's the one. I saw they just offered uh, Josh Caddis from Muller today, that H-back tight end. You know, he might be a tough get. I'm sure he's going to blow up nationally. Um his dad went to Michigan, right? Yeah. So I, I like some of those times you do the uh, you do the dotted line and that kind of lands other places. Uh, Tyler Gillison at Pickerington Central, if he doesn't end up, you know, like his brother. Uh, but there's some good players. Even that uh, Taysan Smoot, you know, the quarterback for Springfield. He's a little bit smaller, but he's a nice looking athlete. You know, I, right now, quite honestly, and just talking amongst evaluators, missing a whole summer of camps to evaluate really you know, puts a, puts a hamper on like my list. You know, usually I've kind of been over this list 20 or 30 times, but I was going around the games this time seeing kids for the first or second time where sometimes they're old hat by now, you know, and you've, you've kind of done all your homework on them. So as a lot of these kids, as I'm talking about, I'm like, ah, I wonder what, no, what, his, what his 40 time would be or, you know, if he's really blown up yet. And of course there's other kids. There's a nice looking tackle at Fremont. And, and this time of the year, you're going to probably start seeing kids come out of the woodwork. I have some kids in my report that don't have offers that, you know, of course, when I send out reports, I, I always like watching like a week or so later to see who got, you know, popped an offer after it. So it's that time of the year. What can you tell us about Stephen Bird, who uh, just committed to Cincinnati last week from Canal Win or this week from Canal Winchester? You know, I, I like to go see players when they have a good night, but I caught him on a night where they were about to mercy roll the team. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think I caught his last two runs of the night, and it looked like the other team was construction barrels out there. He was just weaving in and out of them. You know, the DBs were here, and he'd stop and cut. And I mean, it was almost men against boys. You know, and I don't want to 
evaluate him in a game where that's the competition he's going against, but he was obviously, you know, a man on that field. But he, he could scoot. I mean, whether it was bad competition or not, he was scooting through the field. That's a, it's a big physical – knowing how Luke likes to run his offense and how he likes to, you know, really lean on the ground game, Bird looks like a kid that, that fits in. And probably not to a surprise, from what I've heard, uh, he basically told him, I don't care how many running backs you take in this class. Like, I'm coming here to be your feature back. That's a kid that's not afraid of competition as well. Yeah, you like that. I, that. Those are the stuff that really give you confidence when you pick a kid that this kid's in with. Like I said, that story I had, you know, there's the evaluation. And yeah, he looks good. He runs fast. He's big. But those intangibles, man. And, and the other one is who's going to go to class every day? Who's going right. to work hard every day? And when they're tired and show up and go to class. And, you know, the more I do this and when, when guys miss and they don't make it, it's, I don't think it's so much on the scouts anymore. It's more on what they do when they get there. You know, we, we can pretty much evaluate and say, yeah, yeah big, fast, strong. You, you hit all the marks. Now it's kind of on you. You know, how much do you love it? How much do you want it? Mark, much appreciated, my friend. I missed not getting to see you out on the camp circuit uh, this past summer. Usually I'll, you'll pop down to Cincinnati for one of Luke's camps and we'll catch up. And uh, hopefully we get that again uh, as we roll around into the summer. Yeah, you know, we we maybe be at those camps and we'll say, oh, it's a lot of work. It's hot out here today. Remind me if I ever say that again to smack <laughs> me because I, I will appreciate football having a take for me. Have a take. It. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it, Mark. Thanks a lot. And uh, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Mark, and I think it's double underscore Porter. Mark Porter. All right. well, appreciate welcome to that, the network. Good one. Welcome to the network. And uh, feel free to pop in anytime. I know uh, our members would love to hear from you. Uh, whenever you get a chance. Yep. Appreciate it. Have a good night. You too. That's Mark Porter from Scouting Ohio and Bucknuts.com. Uh, really appreciate Mark has been, uh, as he mentioned, he has been on the scene in Ohio uh, for quite some time. And, you know, it's, it's difficult because right now, there's not a lot to go on on a lot of these kids. So at least Mark has been, you know, out on the road and, and getting a chance to see some of these games. And uh, I think that was important. Uh, I know everybody has, has talked about missing Bill and trust me, I, I miss Bill as well. Uh, but Hopefully we can cultivate a similar type relationship with Mark where he can help us out on the Ohio kids, because he really does have a wealth of knowledge that I don't know that, that anybody other than Bill, has in the state when it comes to scouting and, and understanding and evaluating the kids that, that are out there. For sure. It's uh, it interesting. He brought up Tayshawn Smoot from Springfield, a buddy, my buddy that coaches at Springboro, uh, they played them this year and he's super, super impressed with him and said, UC should definitely offer him not as a quarterback, but as a offensive athlete. And he is, I watched a little bit of their game against St. X and that dude can, can do a lot of stuff. So it'd be interesting if we could find out, you know, from whoever's recruiting Springfield, if, if that's a kid that they maybe are, are keeping an eye on. Cause he definitely fits that Trey Tucker, Tyler Scott type offensive player that they've kind of gone to the last couple of years. I don't know if they've necessarily gone to, I think they just like to have one. But right, in each class. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they, they've kind yeah. of remade the wide receiver room a little bit and added some more of those guys. Um, but yeah, he's, 
he definitely looks like he can play on this level. I think he has a Kentucky offer already, which isn't surprising because it's Springfield. So yeah. Um, anything else? Anything in there surprise you? Did you like hearing Brady Lichtenberg compared to Joe Burrow several times? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Like, that's, my, that's my guy. You know, if he, if he comes close to that, it'd be, uh, it'd be nice. All right. Um, well, that's I, I, just getting close to signing day. I wanted to get us an Ohio guy in here uh, with Mark now in the in the network. I wanted to get us an Ohio guy in here and, and converse on uh, where we see some of these these kids and their potential. And uh, he seems as high on all of them as Luke Fickle is, which is promising, right? Yeah, you hope so. You hope, you know, the you know, guy doesn't come on and say, oh, I don't know why they took this kid or <laughs> anything like well, that. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, he's a straight up enough guy that I think if he had questions, he would let us know what, sure. he's, what he was thinking in his evaluation. Well, I mean, not a lot point, of that. How do you not, I mean, how do you not trust the staff? Like, yeah. regardless of, you know, I've always kind of had that take when it comes to scouting and ranking. And I mean, this, these guys do a great job, but the staff has definitely seen a lot more of them than any scout is. So yeah, for sure. If, if they think that it's worthy of an offer and a commitment, then I don't really see any reason to second guess it all right i mean i don't think we need to really hit on the houston game much do we other than um they made it i don't i don't want to say they made it look easy i want to say they made it look very businesslike well i think it was the first time in you know since way back at the usf game which feels like forever ago that it wasn't Perfect. I'm not saying the other the SMU Houston Memphis games were perfect, but I mean they were pretty darn. They were close. pretty close. <laughs> they were, they were just, close. I mean, in every phase, you had the offensive line. I thought was even though they didn't really. I don't think they gave up a sack. They didn't. Their protection, I think, was Des being Des kept them from giving up a few sacks. There was some some pretty quick pressure a couple times that he was able to get away from. Um. You know, Jay Sean had two stone cold drops. We lost, you know, a couple guys got lost in coverage on, you know, double moves and, you know, and then, you know, almost had a punt block. So there were just little things here and there. And yet in the fourth quarter, you're up 38 to 10 or whatever it was. And the backups are in with basically the entire fourth quarter. So expectations have risen. But then when you're, Still, when you know, when you know, you can tell that it just just wasn't the same as the last two games, but you're still beating the brakes off of someone. You, you kind of get the sense that uh, things are going pretty good. What was your take on that? The pro football focus article that kind of looked basically it was comparing, you know, BYU's, BYU's offense to Cincinnati's defense. But uh, for me, it was just confirmation of the numbers say what our eyes are seeing, right? Like, they are elite in coverage across multiple positions. And at the line of scrimmage, they are a wrecking ball. Yeah. And I mean, they're giving up less than 100 yards a game rushing. And that's with, I think, 140 against Austin P and almost 200 against 
Army. Uh, they're still in the top five, I think, of pass efficiency defense. They're in the top five to ten in interceptions. Um, their sack numbers aren't there because teams can't throw. They will. Not, they just will not do deep routes. Like Dana Hoyer's yeah. straight up said, I'm not going to throw it deep. And then that changed a little bit, I think, when Wig got hurt um, and with Arquan already out. And being down, you just you just have, have to. to. I mean, you're not going to. Yeah. That's the thing with There's this still defense. still very little success. That's the thing with this defense. Like, you can say you're not going to throw it deep, but okay, so you're going to nickel and dime them down the field? Like, you're going to run five-yard out, seven-yard curls all the way down the field? Like, that's not happening either. Yeah, good luck with that. So – um, I, I still just think that the tackling has surprised me with how good it has been just because, I mean, how much did you do in the summer? Um, because of all the different rules and everything. And then once you get into the season, you don't do it a ton, but you just, you just don't see missed tackles. Like you don't see it with this, with these guys. And I just, I think it's just confirmation that when you – even against these offenses, and obviously we'll see it again next week, but, like, how are you going to score enough to win? Yep. The teams they're playing. Um, I, I would say the other thing, and, and, you know, it's been talked about a little bit on the board this week. One of the killers last year against ECU were the penalties. Have you been – blown away by their ability to 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 wipe that problem out i mean they're probably what middle of the pack last year they were last in the country they were pretty terrible last year um i think penalties are a lot like turnovers you just like i don't think they're certainly not uh indicative of winning and losing um, no but you obviously don't want them that's i mean no one's going to be like, yes, let's have a lot of penalties. But it is, but it is a barometer of wins and losses. Like, super penalized teams aren't all bad, and teams that don't commit penalties aren't good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ones that I'm that I am happier with is there were a lot of mental penalties last year. There were a lot of false starts, a lot of holding, a lot of hold holding penalties, but. And I don't even necessarily have a problem as much with those because that can just be from crew to crew. You know, you, you block one way one week and it's fine. And then you block the same week, same time, same way the next week and it's a hold. But there were just a lot of the, I think we've cut down on the, we had a lot of like face masks last year, a lot of unsport, like just kind of the aggressive penalties that most of the time you're cool with, but you're like, well, that just like kept the drive going. And Last year, that wasn't good because the offense wasn't doing what it's been doing. So you couldn't just allow teams to continue their drives and give them a chance, you know, give them a better chance to score. Yeah, I think that's what really I like stuck out of my brain from last year was a lot of third down silliness where they should have gotten off the field, but there was, you know, a defensive holding in the secondary or um, there was an illegal hands to the face inside. And um, what I think six 
first six penalties for first downs against ECU last year. And if you look back at that game, like if you get off the field a couple of those times, then they never get rolling. Then, then yeah, their offense were, never finds a, a rhythm. Pass interference penalties, and I, and I can live with those because that's just the way they play. And I don't think the refs are used to calling games with a team that presses as much as they do and plays as physical as they do. Um, but at the same time, once you realize that that's the way the game's going to be called, you do need to adjust. And I don't think they adjusted last year against ECU. And then when they did adjust, it was almost an overcorrection where then they, played, they, were, yeah. then they were open and they, cause they were worried about getting a penalty. So they're bailing on, on routes. All right. I, we'll talk about it for a minute. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but Cincinnati falls from number six to number seven in the rankings. Um, it, it really was pretty much worst case for Cincinnati's position in this specific week to have Florida just beat the crap out of Georgia and then have the Notre Dame beat Clemson. Um, one, because if I think if Georgia wins and if uh, Clemson wins, we see Cincinnati at five. But with the Florida win, Florida jumps up into Georgia's spot. But as a result, it brings Texas A&M with them because Texas A&M beat Florida. And then Notre Dame stays in the top four because they beat Clemson. It was worst case scenario for that week. But I just look at this thing and say, Dave, there's still so much. What, five weeks left of the season? And then conference championship week? There's probably going to be, at this pace, who knows? Yeah. But you're right. And I think, obviously, we want, like, I we were talking yesterday, and I was like, I can do fake outrage about a lot of things. This is not one of them. Saying that, though, the things that are a little annoying to me are when you dig into the polls and you see like people that have Wisconsin in the top 10, they've played one game and it was against yeah. Illinois. Um, when you see Indiana ahead of UC, um, I don't have a, like the Florida Georgia game to me was inconsequential because whoever wins is going to play Alabama more than likely and get blown out again. So that doesn't, to me, that didn't matter. Um, the, the no, but where it did matter is that it validated Texas A&M. Yeah, but and Texas A&M is in a position where they can get to the end of the season with one loss. It's to Alabama, and they don't have to play in the SEC championship game. And if look, given the opportunity, the committee is going to pick Texas A&M in that scenario. I don't know. I'm I'm not sold on that. Okay, just because of I think. Now, the other part of that is when we went into this whole thing, we obviously said the chances were slim. Yeah. And what has to happen for it to even be a discussion? Chaos. Chaos. And they have to be 11 and 0. Yeah. Well, they're 6 and 0. So, what, what am I, why am I worrying about if you know going in that the only way it's even in a discussion? is to be 11 and 0. Why are we worried about it at 6 and 0? Because that's what people do. Right. But I mean <laughs> But I'm I mean I don't you know, if they get to 11 and 0 and are super impressive doing it, then I'll 
stand on the table and tell you why, you know, you need to look at Texas A&M's blowout loss to Alabama and barely beating a winless Vanderbilt team. Like at, th- at that point, you're comparing the same thing. Right now, you're not comparing the same thing. Like everybody's season isn't over. We don't know exactly how everything stacks up. Um, but yeah, I mean, ideally, Notre Dame would find a way to beat Clemson again. But Notre Dame could lose next week to North Carolina. They could lose to Boston. That's not a bad Boston College team. No, but I just. Coming off of that win, I don't see them tripping up. But the week after that, they could. And what have we seen this week? Is the SEC even playing any games? I don't. Is there one or two games are left I, on the SEC I slate so. for this week? Out Utah, of seven, Utah hasn't played a game, and they're not even close to playing one. Cal doesn't know if they're playing their game yet this week. You know, I saw someone tweet today like they should just go. What are they going? What are they going to do? Arrest them? That. Like, they've, they've talked about relocating in order to get their season in. Ohio State's game got canceled today. Like, just get to the end, and then let's see how it shakes out. Like, you know, if, if teams continue to not be able to have games, then you're just talking about such uneven data points that there's no telling what would happen. And this could all be solved if they would have just been like every other sports league this year and expanded their postseasons, but no, you know, college football has to be the only one that keeps the integrity of the bowl system that no <laughs> one gives a rip about. This should be easy. They don't even have a union. Yeah. They just do, do whatever, do whatever you want. The NCAA has no say in it. Right. I mean, but what's that tells you that the autonomous five has sure. no desire. Of course. Which is dumb because all, why wouldn't all, you want four more games? Exactly. All UC can do is keep kicking the crap out of people and make make it as hard as possible to be left out. And would you try to would you would you try to get BYU on the schedule here before this is all said and done? I mean, I don't know how they can. There's no There's an open week on the twelfth. Yeah. I mean, I would because BYU will have been off a month. Yeah. By then, they've and got they two have, games left. They have the rest two of the games season. left, and one of them. I'm not actually worried about them at all, to be quite honest. Like if UC goes 11 and 0 and wins the conference, they're not going to be behind a team that played two FCS games, no chance, and a bunch of other G5 games, and yeah, you know, was done in the middle of towards the end of November and have been out of sight, out of mind while these other teams are still piling up wins. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I think they're really good, but I'm just not, I don't see them being like a true threat as far as like they, they would actually pick them for the fourth spot over an undefeated conference champ. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that either. I don't, they've got much less of a chance than Cincinnati. And don't get I, what I would advise people. Don't get caught up on that, the ESPN playoff predictor thing, because it's based on FPI, and FPI has Cincinnati losing to Central Florida. Now Cincinnati might lose to Central Florida, but their percentage in that equates to what it does because they have them losing that game. If UC goes undefeated and like eleven and zero, they have a fifty-three percent chance of making the playoff according to FPI. Right. 
but FPI says they're going to lose to Central Florida, right. which is it, why it all it all swings on that on yeah. that game. Which I mean, we know like that's yeah. that's the biggest test left. I, I'm unless it's UCF, I'm not overly concerned with the championship game if it's at Nippert. If it's I'm, SMU, I'm not con- if it, if the championship game is at Nippert. In the middle of December, I ain't concerned with anybody. <laughs> you don't think UCF would like Nippert in the middle of December? I don't think so. I don't. I no. That's probably a good point. That's probably a good point. All right, let's get to uh, to ECU. Um, Garbage. Yeah, but it has to stick in your back in the back of your mind that Holton Aylers threw 550 yards last year. It has to. Not mine. <laughs> okay. Their offensive you just line, toss that out. Their offensive, their offensive line couldn't block me or you, me and you. They could probably block me. Well, is it bad when your starting right tackle weighs less than the defensive ends that he's about to go up against? That's not great. And especially starting when, right tackle weighs 250 pounds. And especially when those two defensive ends are the top two edge defenders in the country. Or at least top five. Yes. I don't know where PFF has them this last, week. They're, I mean, last week Tulane has two very good edge defenders. Patrick Johnson's leading the league in sacks with nine, and um, the other guy's very good too. And they had five sacks, two two sack fumbles, and like eight pressures, ten tackles. For, I mean, it was dominating performance by Tulane's defensive line. It was thirty-one to seven before. ECU scored a couple garbage touchdowns. Their offensive line is just not good. Their defensive line isn't good either. So this is like the worst case scenario for them. They gave up 277 yards rushing last week. Against UCF, their UCF game is one of the strangest things I've ever seen. So it was the first game of the year, I think, between the two. UCF on their first drive committed four straight false start penalties. They had 20 penalties in the entire game and still had almost 700 yards total offense. They had 244 in the ground and over 400 in the air. Didn't they have four false starts yeah, to start four, the game? Yes, that's what I just said. Okay, sorry. Glad we're paying attention. <laughs> I was looking at the, the wreckage on the the Brent Spence Bridge. Sorry, I was distracted for but, a second. Um, Holton Aylers, he's there. I don't know what's going on with that. They're not running him. You know, he did a lot of power. He's a big dude. And especially his freshman year, they did a lot of power stuff. Now they have a new coaching staff since his freshman year. But that went down last year and it's going down again. He's only had 17 actual designed runs for 47 yards. Um C.J. Johnson, their wide receiver that just destroyed UC last year, he doesn't even have as many yards receiving this season as he had in <laughs> as that he game. did Nike. <laughs> He's 13 catches for 286 yards and four touchdowns. He's their third leading receiver. The two others are more of like what I would consider like a slot receiver. I mean, they're both barely averaging. One's averaging eight and a half yards a catch. One's averaging ten. Um, well, that was also there was something different in that game that has been different since that game. And that's Ahmad Gardner starting at the boundary corner spot. Right. So good luck. If you're going to try to throw at Ahmad 15 times. Yeah. 
And they're just some of these numbers, like they're small on the defensive line too. Their tackle starting tackles are two fifty three and two eighty three. I like Renfro, O'Quinn, and, and Vinny in that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, going back through my pictures of the Houston game. Some of the holes created by the interior of that line were just absurd. Absurd. Like you're you're looking at Dokes running through a hole that's the size of my office. Like mm-hmm. and especially it, on the, the run, um, kind of like the delayed draw yeah. at the end of the first half to set up the touchdown. That was a, that was like a a counter, a draw, and a trap. Yeah, I mean it's it's a play designed into one. It's been I mean, it's not like a new play. You just make the it makes the defense freeze, I think, a little bit when the running back doesn't move at the snap and the quarterback is almost like rolling out and then just you know hands it to him and they go the opposite direction of the way that the play seems like it's moving. You move the you move the right side of the line, you know towards the where you think the play is going, but then, like, they cut back Renfro across the way to kind of steal that defender. It's good play design. It's good Vinny's, execution. Vinny's block on the Dokes run at the beginning was great. I mean, dude blitzed, and he caught him. And just shoved him, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, they're um, – I mean, they're, so game, they're 114th game. in SP+. Plus. 86th offensively and 118 defensively. And you've got a UC defense that let they're gonna be pissed off. I know Luke can downplay that. I ask that, I don't that's even why I, do you th- but do you think it even like matters that they're pissed off? Like they just don't want anybody to score. Who cares if they scored a bunch of points last year? Yeah, I, I mean I agree, but I also think they like that was an embarrassment for that defense. For as good that's the worst performance they've had in three years. Up there. I mean, maybe 2018 UCF at the bounce house. But other than that, like, but that was expected. That was an awesome UCF team. That ECU team should not have done what they did to Cincinnati last year in any way, shape, or form. And those guys aren't forgetting that, I don't think. No, I don't either. And against an ECU team, it's not – I mean, they've hung around with some people. Um but I have a hard time if SMU Memphis and Houston weren't able to move the ball. Holton Aylers behind a terrible offensive line is going to, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. No. I mean, they both of who their projected starting tackles have not played a single snap all year and are not going to. So, I mean, you're already, you're already on your backups. At this point, um, I just don't see how they don't just send like just blitz on top of blitz on top of blitz and just make, you know, don't give them any time to do anything. Makes sense. I mean, but do you even have to? I mean, they're getting pressure with three. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I would just make it as uncomfortable as possible just on, on the group as a whole. Like, don't even allow them to double team my J like just send someone right. at the guards all the time so that he's singled up. Um, how do you like the wrinkle of, we've seen it a little bit now 
enough that it's got to be another thing that is driving offensive coordinators uh, insane. Now they're blitzing from the from the edges. Yeah, which is not something we've seen a lot of from yeah, you Marcus Freeman. Uh, I'm on Gardner with the with the sack last week. Yeah, and then the week before it wasn't from the edge, but you blitz Smiley, and Wiggins yeah. gets the 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 strip sack mm-hmm. fumble that Van Fossen picked up. So, um, that's just another wrinkle that he's adding in now that is almost like a like a luxury. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have to do it, but we can do it. Well, it's interesting, and, like, from the PFF article, I mean, they don't really try to trick you. They just no. are really good at what they do. And when you can cover, when you can play man-press and play man-to-man, you don't have to try to trick anybody because most of the time you're disguising something because you are covering up for a deficiency. So you're trying to make the offense think a lot before the play where this defense is like, here's what we do. Good luck. You're just not going to be able to, to move the ball. You might, you can know exactly what we're going to do. It doesn't, not going to matter. Yeah. And again, I go back to, I just love what they do when teams try to motion, when teams try to, to, to confuse them, when teams try to, you know, get in their heads a little bit. They don't even flinch. I mean, it's nothing more than a guy goes in motion from one side to the other. The deep safety moves up. The clo- the the tight safety drops back into the deep safety spot, and they don't blink. They're just like, oh, okay, cute, fun. Ooh, tricked us. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're not as wor- not as worried uh, about what what you're thinking you're going to do to get us out of our base because we're not coming out of it. We're doing exactly what we want to do. Um, were you, what were your thoughts on um, not only Hicks filling in, but getting to see a, a little bit more of Brian Cook and then uh, a little bit more of Taj Ward? I thought they did all right. I think it's it's always – I think I thought Cook played pretty well. I think I'm, I'm a little surprised uh, Justin Harris hasn't taken that back up slot role. I think he's more of an outside guy. I, that's they haven't really looked at it much in the slot that I've seen. Because I mean, I, that, they see that might more, be more. true. And I, I think just... some of that, some of that also, I think is um, Jaquan Shepard had been out for a couple weeks, yeah. And you needed Harris in that rotation outside. Well, and when you when you're down two secondary players. It probably isn't the worst thing to maybe sacrifice a little bit of talent for experience and intelligence where you just, yeah, they might complete some passes on you, but you're not going to blow a coverage. Yeah. Because, you know, because you got a guy out there that hasn't really done it before. And Brian Cook is a heat-seeking missile. He likes he likes to hit. But he, he, got, the t- he got the tip on the – the forest interception. interception. He was definitely, you know, in there mixing it up with Pony Boy. Stallion to you, sir. So he's a stallion now after one, he, four, one he fourth is, quarter. Well, he's had a pretty good year. I'm I'm kidding. The guy, I mean, I think I tweeted about him three times. In five plays. <laughs> yeah. 
he's he's having a very good year uh, in an increased role. It is good to see from him because I was very high on him at the end of his freshman year uh, going into 2019. We didn't see much from him last year. Uh, and that, you know, there was a lot of depth at linebacker and um, he wasn't, he wasn't getting in that rotation over Jarrell at that point in time, but to see him step into that, that one, a one B situation this year, you feel pretty confident going into next year with, with Ty Van Fossen. You feel pretty confident or increasingly confident, I think, next year uh, with with Brian Cook and uh, Javon Hicks. Now, they're not Derek Forrest and Smiley, James Wiggins. No, but you're not – you're not – I don't think anyone's delusioned to think that's – Right. What, and you're also – it's going to be. I don't think you're going to see a giant drop-off. I think you've got no. two capable guys. It'd just be different. I mean, you got how you're gonna have how many new <laughs> pieces? A lot. So, a lot. Yeah, next year is probably a, more of an offense year. I still think defense is gonna be pretty good. I just It'll think it's, good, gonna, but it's, it's, not it's gonna be new. I mean, we're talking about the best defense in school history, and and hand and one of, and legitimately one of the top five defenses in the entire country, regardless. Like. I just, every, I just, every metric, every person that knows what the heck they're talking about. This isn't like, oh, they're just beating up on crappy American conference teams. Like, no, this is it's translatable. So there's going to be a drop-off when you're replacing however many starters it is that they're going to be replacing. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, was, I, was, I did an ECU podcast um, before I did this tonight. That's why I was... Uh, eating dinner as we were starting this podcast. Uh, and the ECU guys were convinced that UC had the best defense in the country. And I'm like, well, you're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> you, you're you're kind of onto something. Uh, yeah. They get after it pretty good. And uh, I don't know, you know, as we've talked about, I just, I, I don't know where there's a weakness. I don't know what you scheme to, uh, to, to outsmart this this defensive ability um how, how do you so so you've got this one bearcats big i take it yeah well, you'll see in my prediction people are gonna probably laugh but yeah gonna laugh you're going yeah. that you're going that wide of a margin huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're not worried about the 25 point line is what I'm going to assume. Uh, no, I'm not at all. Double, <laughs> double it. Double it. You have 53 to three. Is that what well, I mean, let's, let's think about it. Like we, for the last how many weeks, three weeks, we've almost just like couched our predictions of like, we know the defense is good, but they can't really like keep this team from scoring more than 10 points. Like they'll score 17 or 20 and you still win like, 42 to 20 or 38 to 17 and every right. time it's been that way so how many more times do i gotta see it before i'm like you know i'm just gonna say this is, that that's what's gonna happen and it's it's gonna be chilly it's, it's not gonna be warm no i think you're looking at what 40 in the 40 right around the same time yeah mid 40s at kickoff and 
dropping right near the uh, thir- the, the upper 30s by the time the game's over. Those North Carolina no. boys don't want any part of that. No. All right. I, 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 I also think it is going to be lopsided. I, I probably won't have quite as lopsided uh, as you. My, my word for this week is annihilation. Annihilation. Leading into all the marbles next Saturday. Yeah. Which I, I'm, I'm getting the sense you're not going to be too worried with that one either. No, they're, they have some defensive metrics that are worse than East Carolina. <laughs> Their offensive metrics are pretty good, but they good are. Luck. But if you can't score, so I, I I don't have an answer on the basketball scheduling. I mean, the season starts in two uh, weeks, Chad. Why the hell not? There are five games that are happening that I know for sure. <laughs> the the MTE, I'm still a little uncertain on. Uh, it's good that the Tennessee game was finally released. I think you can look for the other SEC road game to still be in the fold, if you follow me. And then Xavier, and then Furman, and then another by game type at Fifth Third Arena. And then we'll see if it, if the you know if there's a. MT in Indianapolis with Loyola, Chicago, and Duquesne, and uh, a random fourth team. I don't should, know. Should we talk a hot minute about the uh, the recruiting run that the, the Bearcats are on? Sure. Talk pretty, away. Pretty impressive, huh? It's pretty good. I, will I just was say, hoping. For all, for all the fans, just remember, the 2022 signing day is, this is quite, in 13 a, quite months. a ways away. And two of the guys that are, are committed have already been committed to someone else. And like we said, the 2022 signing day is a long way away. Well, one is, one is on his fourth high school. The other is on his third, I think. <laughs> so uh, the staff has done a very good job of holding on to commitments. You, I mean, you, you know what it does, though? It probably creates puts, momentum. Well, it creates momentum and it probably puts some heat on maybe some guys from Ohio that you right. want that may that that now that they see this happening, they say, Well, I better get involved because my spot the spot might not be there for me. And you know that I want this kid anyway, but now I'm just gonna get him sooner because he's maybe worried about missing out. And it, you know say one of these guys does decommit, you've already got his quote unquote, you know, replacement committed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I'm not stressing over 2022. I don't even uh, know. half these. Yeah. Like I've always been like, yeah, I'll start worrying about that after the 2021 classes. Yeah. It's just so happens that they're number seven in the country. They're hot. Nine. Let's not oh, nine. In recruiting. Oh, you mean no? You, I mean, okay, right. I I'm talking you. about the. Yeah. I'm talking about the team. Yes. Yes. And they have been really fun to watch. They are putting out a product that is as fun to watch as anybody in the country right now. I mean, I, I watch a lot of just college football in general, and and yeah. because of the Bearcat Journal Twitter page, I've 
have a pretty good idea of like how other teams are doing. I'm trying not to like go overboard here. I'm not sure there is a team that is more, I don't know, more complete, more, more buzz when it comes to on field and recruiting at this current moment than you see. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I think, you know, you'll see another one, another bump this week. Cause I think there's always a bump when they get on national TV and the black on black on black. Oh yeah. Friday. I mean, they're the number seven team in the country. They pe- people are going to be watching the game Friday night that pro- that would miss the, would likely miss the game if it was on Saturday. Now I'm not yeah. naming it this Saturday because all the marquee games have been canceled. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, these are the times when it's, it is good to play a, a weeknight game when you do kind of get that showcase to yourself where a game against the ECU under normal circumstances, yeah, you know, would not be this type of situation. But I think that's, that's what recruits are seeing. One that it's a team that is a lot of fun to watch. And also it's a team that you can tell how close they are how much those guys are playing for each other and not, you know, just out there looking to, to rack up statistics, to rack up numbers, because you know, outside of Jarrell having some big tackle games, like this has been about as even across the board as I ever can remember. Oh yeah. There's not anybody really, I mean, unless you're a diehard and you know, a member of Bearcat journal or, or whatever, you know, just watching, you don't, it doesn't, immediately jump out on a television broadcast how much my Jay Sanders is dominating the line of scrimmage and even Ponder's doing the same he just isn't as freakish about it so he doesn't get as much you know notoriety for it but he's that perfect you know strong side defensive end in a in a three-man front yeah and that's allowed Maje to move to the weak side, where in the the four three, Ponder goes inside. Maje goes to the strong side. That's where your Jack is on the outside, uh, opposite Maje. And I think it's kind of slotted him into to more natural spots, which I I I feel bad for ECU's offensive line. I do. It, it shouldn't it shouldn't be much of resistance, but you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. Stranger things have happened, I guess. Anything else you got? Uh, I don't think so. You don't we think so? Had a commit in like two days. I know. Jeez. I, you know, I, I did what I could. I told him we needed one for yesterday and today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how about this? I'll bury this at the back end of the podcast. I was told not to write about it. I didn't, nobody told me not to talk about it. <laughs> so I asked someone about Justin Watley. Cause as I've told you guys, um, I, we're not getting, getting to see nearly as much practice as normal. Um, but the, the stuff we're getting to see is a lot of scout team stuff and watching the offense go against the scout team defense. 
Watley's a guy that keeps kind of flashing to me from time to time. And I asked somebody and they said that they felt that the majority of the time, true freshman defensive lineman, Justin Watley was giving them better looks in practice than the first team defensive lineman that they were facing in games. <laughs> That's, I don't know who that says more about. <laughs> True. But I, Memphis has got some talent up front. Houston's got some talent they, up front. No, they don't. At, they got... at that defensive tackle spot, both of those teams had a guy at least that was pretty good. They didn't. They weren't able to do anything. No, you I mean at, at offensive? Watley would have been giving them the look. Watley's playing defensive tackle. Right. Yeah, I'm saying Houston and Memphis have some defensive uh, tackles that are pretty good. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Houston came in number four in the country in sacks. Yeah, the, guy, that, the guy that had half of them didn't play. Out. Okay, great. <laughs> But their inside guys are still pretty good. Memphis had a, one of the best nose tackles in the conference. Oh, Brian Goodson's pretty good, yeah. And Watley's giving the offense better looks than than pretty much everybody else that they have faced from the defensive tackle can, spot on the scout. Can, can we talk? I have one. I have two questions for when we're allowed to talk to Justin Watley. Okay. Why did you pick number thirty-four? Okay. And. Why are you going to keep it for your entire career? Because it's freaking awesome. <laughs> you just like 34? I just like, I like numbers on positions that are not typical. Like Brian Goodson for Memphis is number zero, which you're allowed to wear zero now. I think that's great. Like your big fat defensive tackle wearing zero. Yeah. Yeah. Just being like 34. Like, why would you pick that as a defensive lineman? So we're probably not going to be allowed into anything, I would guess, until like uh, higher ground next year. Yeah, that would be my guess because I'm right. not feeling I'm not feeling real great about spring football. <laughs> Especially, well, here's the problem for us. Um, I don't know what we're going to be allowed in the rest of the way, right? Because the bubble's up and the bubble is considered inside. Yeah, uh, and we're not allowed inside. Right. Like I, so I was texting with somebody the other day who used to work in the athletic department that has moved on to another position elsewhere. And they asked me a question and I said, I, I, they asked me a question about basketball. I said, I've, I've not been inside a building at UC since the temple game. Yeah. Well, no spring practice the day, the week. uh, Yeah. Like yeah. that, that, like that the, Saturday. The fourth the spring game. practice before it yeah. got canceled. The fourth spring practice is the last time I was inside a, 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 a structure at UC. The last time I was in a building would have been senior day. Yeah. Not allowed. Just, just not allowed. Now there is a point in the spring that the bubble comes down. Yeah. Cause it's all, they always practice out there. Like as they get closer to the spring game. It generally comes down at spring break, which they do one week of spring practice. Then the bubble comes down at spring break and then they're outside the rest of the way. Maybe, maybe that'll be the one year anniversary of the COVID shutdown, March, you know, March 13th. Maybe, you know, by that time, it, maybe it'll be gone. Maybe it, it's finally vanished by then. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to end November 4th, but just wear, just wear your mask and social distance. 
<laughs> All right, that's enough politics. We're not gonna. We're not even gonna joke because people get in their feelings. <laughs> the funny thing is, we're joking from from each side. And no, I'm not. I'm. I've done everything that has been asked of me. Me too. So me too. You know, you you and I both. Neither of us really have a choice. You yeah, tired of tired of doing it. Yeah, we're all tired of doing it. I would love, I'd love to be up on top of the garage tailgating with the Simone family. Yeah, in in what has been the most picture perfect weather season in UC football history. Yeah, every game. I mean, it's it's uncanny. And even even Friday, it's, it's still going to be nice. It's the middle of November. Yeah, it's going to be chilly, but it's going to be like in the 40s the it's entire time. It won't even be in the 10 coldest games I've been to. Right. It's going to be a comfortable November, mid-November yeah. night. And every other game has been like 65 to 75 degrees uh and perfectly sunny and every time i look I like i just i sit down there on the field and i look at the stands and I'm, i just shake my head like this stinks like i i this stinks that this place isn't getting to enjoy yeah. this team because this team is okay mo and tony have talked about this i guess we'll finish with this <laughs> who you taking 09 Bearcats, 2020 Bearcats. Uh, 2020. Because? Because of the defense, one. And the 09 team defense. Yes. Which was not great. And Dez's overall athletic ability would give that defense a lot of problems. Yeah. Now, and the I offense would, was great, and but this defense is great too. So I'm not saying yeah, I would love. Pitch, I'm not saying they'd be pitching shutouts like they are now, but I don't see how that defense is slowing down this offense. Like the offensive line is a different type of person now. Like that yeah. defensive line was still, you know, Big East. They lost line. a lot from 08, though. Right. That team, you know, and they had several, several close games against. Not exactly the hardest teams, you know, on that schedule. And games that were played in the 40s. Yeah, like 47-45 against UConn. Yeah. You know, gave up almost 40 to Illinois. Ne- you know, needed a Craig Carey interception to beat Fresno. There was, you know, there were I good, mean, win- but- good wins too. What- What's more reliable than counting on needing a Craig Carey interception? Right. And I don't want to be like a, a prisoner of the moment and have like recency bias, but I just don't know how, like who's covering Josh Wiley. Like, how are you stopping Dez in the RPO game or just a quarterback run game? Like this, this offensive line, everybody's over 300 pounds. You have an NFL draft pick or at least an NFL camp guy on at left tackle. You know, you've got an NFL tight end. You've got a 230-pound running back who was bigger than every linebacker on that team. Yeah, yeah. And the question would be, how many how many picks does Pike throw in that game? <laughs> well, against this <laughs> defensive backfield, uh, <laughs> if he threw four against Virginia Tech, yeah, if like, he threw uh, four against Virginia Tech, 
got beat by Tyrod Taylor. I mean, yeesh. <laughs> hey, don't don't hate on Tyrod Taylor. That guy made what at least fifty, sixty million dollars in the NFL. Yeah, he's also gotten somehow like past it, three. It, like if you sign Tyrod Taylor and you draft a quarterback, that quarterback playing like within the first three games. <laughs> Without question. But Tyrod keeps casting checks. Oh, yeah, because he gets signed he's, to be a starter. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I just right. – I don't know. I think it's a different different athlete on those, on those two teams, you know, overall. I mean, there were – there's pieces that could – could make a difference, but I just think top to bottom, it's just a different roster now than it was then. Did I ask you the the Luke Fickle's the best hire since question on this podcast yet? Uh, I don't know. Luke Fickle is the best hire, coach hire in Cincinnati since. Um, All levels. When was Mick hired? What year? 2006. Then I would say Mar- since Marvin Lewis. You think he is a better hire than BK? No, I mean, I. No, BK was, a, was probably the, would probably be the answer, but I'm just looking at it like from a, I looked at it as like longevity standpoint. Um, but yeah, BK would be, would be that if you just went like, even if it was someone for like one or two years, yes, he was a great hot, you know, he did everything you needed him to do at the, at the time. Um, Isn't the hands are really Bob Huggins. Probably, but yeah. 14 years for Bob, right? Yeah. Uh, his first year was 90, 90. And he made it to 2004. They lost in the 05 second round to Kentucky. Yeah. 04, 05. So to yeah. 14 seasons for Bob. I think that would be my answer. When I, I asked Skinny a couple, like, like a week and a half back on radio, and his answer was BK. Um, and I don't think that's wrong, other than I it's don't. It's not wrong think- if you're just looking at like. What, BK was the perfect guy at the at the right time. Or just like if you just look at it as like this person went the furthest, you know, like yeah. But I like, think yeah, the they went they Bob. were a game from going from going to the national champ like one second from going to the national championship. So if you're just judging it solely on like accomplishment. But Bob you know, Bob went to the final four, which is basically a like a couple elite eights. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I uh, here's basically what I'm saying. I think Luke's a better hire than Brian Kelly was. Oh, I do too. It's turned out that way. Um, so that would you're, I, you're getting you're getting everything that you would want. Um, you did not get that with with BK. Right. You got a lot of it. You you got what you needed at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he didn't want to do the things that at UC that he would have had to do to sustain that. Right. I'm going to put this on Twitter. I'm interested to see. I'm going to start a poll. Luke Fickle is the best hire in Cincinnati sports since A, Brian Kelly. Travis Steele. B, Bob Huggins. 
I probably could do this after the show. <laughs> yeah. Since, you know, we're not going to get results. I, I could have done it. We'd have done it at the beginning of the show. We could have had answers at the end, or at least how would we seen how the show's not live? Well, I mean, we could have talked and we would have had an hour of results. Oh, and then looked at the end to see. Yeah. All right, it's tweeted. It'll be up for 24 hours. So when you listen to this podcast, either Wednesday night or Thursday morning, uh, you can go to my Twitter and vote. All right, that's all I got. Let's get out of here. All right. Watch party, Holy Grail Banks, Friday night, 7.30. Watch the Bearcats take on the Pirates of ECU. Dave is not going to be friendly to our friends from Greenville in his score prediction. We have two votes, one for Brian Kelly, one for Bob Huggins. We're at 50-50. Glad we've just decided that. All right. See you later, Dave. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.